everybody. This is the Winning in Winnipeg podcast, where I talk to top performing business owners, executives, entrepreneurs, and local Winnipeg celebrities. I get to learn who they are and how they think, and I get to hear their perspective about what's really going on in Winnipeg and in their businesses. Jason Greschuk is a seven-figure business owner and a longtime real estate investor. At the age of 21, Jason was forced into the business world after the loss of his father. Since then, he had started and scaled his painting company, Stratford Price Painting, to the multi-million dollar mark while simultaneously flipping real estate and supporting his family along the way. Now that Jason has removed himself from the day-to-day operations at Stratford Price Painting, he buys businesses and real estate while showing motivated individuals how to replicate his success. There's a lot more I could tell you about Jason, but I'm just going to let him do it for me. Jason, <laughs> thanks I'm, for coming on, man. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate it. How was that intro? Did it did it hit you know, it? Did it, it was, kind of? Did uh, I miss anything? No, I actually, as you talked, I was like checking off boxes in my head. I was like, yeah, that's true. That's also true. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm good. The, the, the only thing that's, uh, the, the information is my fault that's dated is uh, oh. the uh, I bought a business in 2019 called Buell Painting. Right. And that's the brand we use for the painting side now. And that removed the Stratford name from any particular business. I appreciate Cause you. Because it's, it's, it's. Coming it's, in with that. Because that's big. Okay. Yeah. So. I like it. Okay, so I'm just going to hit the elephant in the room real quick. Hit me with it. Is that you and I have a big thing in common is that we we actually met because we coached under the same guy, same mm-hmm. crazy guy, Stefan Arneo. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your experience and because I I guarantee it's different than mm. mine. And, I've, and I'd love to hear about guys that went in through the same, because there wasn't many mm. of us, right, that did mm, the platinum no. program. And, uh, and why you decided to pay someone to coach you in your business and your life mm. was uh, so sorry. First was Stefan your first coach ever? No, 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 okay. no, he wasn't. Okay. So, so take me through that, that coaching experience. Mm. So pr- my first coach, coach was actually a guy named Jeff McLeod and he was a district manager for student works painting. Okay. And in that model, you're basically forced to have a coach. Right, and it's actually a smart thing because they—you're very young. You've probably had no business experience, and you run a painting franchise, and they give you a district manager. And when you pay royalties, part of it goes to him. So you're like forced to pay a coach. Okay, yep. Um, but when I came into Stefan's world, I had about a year and a half before that where I had never had it. Like I didn't have a coach. It was kind of this gap where I wasn't having anyone externally challenge me or anything. So. I felt this unrest inside. And so when I saw him succeeding at something I was interested in, I immediately reached out and just said, you know, I didn't even know what I wanted. Were you in real estate before then? No. Okay. No, I, I, I had a business degree I was pursuing. I had my painting company, which was a small proprietorship. And I just had a lot of feelings of unrest. Just, I wasn't where I wanted to be. I didn't feel like uh, I was achieving my potential. Okay. And then I saw a guy who was buying, fixing, and selling property with none of his own money, doing deals every day, it seemed, posting content. He was either like showing off his product or telling stories or yep. uh, explaining concepts. And, and where did you hear about him? I saw him on where Facebook. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I can't remember your original question, but I became aware of him. And inside my body was saying like, you need help from someone. Kind of drew you in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I, I didn't know what I wanted. 
I just knew that what he was doing was interesting. My dad was actually a realtor, so I I didn't pay attention to what he did when I when he was alive. You know, I was just a kid. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I did still feel like dormant in this, you know, in the corners of my myself that real estate was important. Okay. Yep. And and that's all I had was basically a feeling of dissatisfaction and a general interest in real estate. So you came in, you saw him. How long did it take you before you <laughs> before you, you, you jumped yes. the gun? Yeah. Um he I reached out to him by a Facebook message um like early January uh, 2014 and we got to chatting and I think by three weeks later I had committed oh wow to the platinum program yeah it's a big big jump yeah yeah I didn't I didn't even I didn't have all the money like I just told him uh I just had like saucer eyes like I was just looking at him like okay man if you and here's the funny thing is this is the second time in my life that a high performing individual had looked me in the eyeballs and said Follow the system and work hard and you will be successful. Right. They said that to me in student works and he said it to me again. And at that point I was so thankful I had student works as a first thing because I understood that if you're given a proven system and a mentor, you should be able to get many multiples of what you invest. Right. That's why the 50K was not I wasn't that it's that scared of it because I I was used to betting on me. Right. I like it. Yeah. Now, so you sign up for the platinum program. Mm-hmm. What was your experience through it? What do you remember? Like, what do you remember about it? <laughs> respect the grind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing that comes to top of mind. But I spent about six months, in my opinion, being pretty conservative in how I approached the program. I did stuff, but I wasn't really like committing like it was my last dying breath. Mm-hmm. And as such, I didn't get a deal for the first six months. But what was happening was that my painting business was growing by leaps and bounds because Stefan was bending my mind about how to think about business. Right. Right. Like I had limiting beliefs about capital and I would only go after certain customers who could pay me right away. So I could feel money right away. And instead, his his you know, his teachings on raising money helped me to raise a private line of credit in the business mm-hmm. that allowed me to go after other customers. And suddenly the business grew by three hundred percent in that year, the painting business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the platinum program, what sticks out to me was that there was very <laughs> at the time there was very little structure. It was basically Stefan like you know, giving me something to do every week. Yep. And then if I did it, he would give me more stuff. If I didn't, he would not let me off the hook until I gave him the honest answer as to why. And it usually had to do with some type of weakness or fear that I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was not a lot of results for six months, but I could tell my brain was just was creating new folds in it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, we're going to come back to that now. I want to know kind of, uh, growing up, you know, Mm. your kind of the origin story, right? Mm. Like, um, growing up, were you always entrepreneurial? Did you have jobs? Were you good at them? Were you poor at them? 
I so growing up, I really took a liking to numbers. Okay. Numbers. I remember there was many times where I'd sit at church underneath the chairs. I had brought the Winnipeg Free Press to church and I just looked at the sports section and just was fascinated by statistics and numbers and hockey stats and all this stuff. And and I so I love sports. I love being active and I love being my being with my friends and I was just an outgoing person. Yep. Right? That was my raw self. My brother on the other end, he took a liking to cars and he was later I learned more of an introverted guy. So we were actually pretty opposite. And my first job, I believe was a guy in our neighborhood um, we just, he just wanted me to like take care of his lawn all summer. Okay. He had a big lawn. So I just chopped a lot of wood and cut some grass. Um, I basically did like odd jobs until about, no. Did he get you at what? Five bucks a week? Oh man. I don't even know. I don't even know. I have no clue. Um, I don't even think I actually had a job. Like that was, that was my no, I worked at a greenhouse too. Yeah. I basically did manual labor jobs in my teens. Okay. That was the extent of it. No real entrepreneurial aspirations. Uh, I was comfortable. Yep. Right. Life was good. Okay. So uh, things really changed when my dad passed away though. That at, was the what catalyst. Age? Uh, I was 18. Okay. Yeah, 18 and a week from entering university. Right. I had just got my driver's license. And uh, I was going for sciences okay. only because I was good at it in high school. I didn't really have direction. I didn't really know if that was worth it. I didn't even know if that would get me money. I was just literally doing it because I was good at it. Yep. And because, because I was good at it, I got praise from my parents. Okay. And so those two things combined uh, was my motivation. Yeah. And... Um, after dad passed away, we, we sold the family home. We had to downsize to a condo, uh, cause he had taken on a bunch of debt to start a trucking company, which is okay. what he did when he was in his like 16 to 30 years old. And, uh, so yeah, money was tight. We, we downsized and moved into a condo and that's really when my brain started to ignite. That's when I came across good books, um, how to win friends and influence people and the seven habits of highly effective people. Yep. And those were like foundational bricks that began to help me see life properly. And at that point I took a lot more interest in my faith and going to church for my own reasons. And, um, was your family religious? Like, was that your same, same church? Yes, it was, but there was no ownership on my end. I went because I loved my family Yep. There were nice people at church and it was not, uh, it was not good or bad to me. It was just a thing we did. Yep. Um, and, um, yeah. And then that's, that's when my mom started, she, the first opportunity she sent my way is she, she encouraged me to get involved in a mar- uh, multi-level marketing company called prepaid legal. Okay. And, um, now we're getting exciting. Yeah. So at that point, I had to learn, you know, what products and services are and be aware of what is my product? What is my service? How do I help people? Why would I help someone? Right. And I ultimately flopped because I was just, I didn't believe in the product. Yep. 
I had no emotional connection to it and I couldn't put myself in other people's situations because I was still gaining the confidence of talking to people. So no confidence, no skills, and I just flopped. Okay. Just kind of like, uh. and then the next one was my mom. Is that company still around? I think they're called Legal Shield. I think they're called Legal Shield now. Okay. Yeah. Basically, I don't know. Maybe it's even a good product now for me. I have no idea. But um, <laughs> the second opportunity was something called Stores Online. And again, this is a my mom inspiration. She saw I love snowboarding mm-hmm. and she knew entrepreneurship was the way. You know, she wasn't a very impressive entrepreneur by any stretch of the imagination. She achieved some level of success in her company, Watkins. Again, mm-hmm. multi-level marketing. Yep. Um, and she always pushed my dad to get involved in real estate. Like she she would say to him on date night on Friday, say, let's just go drive around, find Fizbo's. And call them. Maybe they want to sell. Maybe we can scoop a deal. I think I like your mom. Yeah. And and my dad, my dad was an interesting guy. He worked super hard. He was a very consistent man, stuck to what he knew, and loved to have fun. Those are the things that pop out in my brain. So like mom always said he would, you know, because when me and my brother were born, he stopped being a trucker and he became a realtor. Mm-hmm. But mom said he would work hard all year. And then hit his goal. He always mentally thought, like, I want to make a hundred grand a year. And once he hit his goal in like September, October, he basically just stopped working mm. because he just wanted to spend time with us. Right. Baseball, hockey, camping, fishing, like whatever it was. So um so the entrepreneurial side definitely came from my mom. And so she put stores online my way. And and initially I thought, hey, great idea. I was like, I can make money. And I love snowboarding. So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to wholesale snowboarding goods. And I can't remember exactly why it flopped. I think I just, again, had no motivation. Like I was comfortable. And um, it was not anything that I really, I was more concerned with having fun and getting good grades. I was still in that headspace. Yeah, yeah. Like I was transitioning from, a boy into a man because I was being more and more convinced as I became aware of the affairs of the household Mm -hmm. that our family was heading in a wrong direction money-wise. Like we were losing money every month. (laughs) Right. And so as that happened, I began to take more and more responsibility for my life, at least at a minimum. Right. And then as things went along more for my family too. Right. So it's like this transition of money going down and responsibility going up. Right. So you're, uh, I mean, you told me that you're, you're engaged, you're going to be getting married. Yeah. What does it mean to you to, what's the difference between a boy and a man? You know, I was actually listening to, so I'm taking this week off and next week off to just be present in the wedding. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, yesterday I was doing something I haven't done in a long time. I was painting my house. So I was up, I got this really nice light pole and a huge circular driveway. And I just had the ladder leaned against the pole and I was just scraping it. And I was listening to hard times. And so this is very fresh in my brain. And even before Stefan said this and wrote it, I was thinking about this and saying, what does it mean to be a man? How do you go from boy to man? And 
I truly believe that that happens when the male, the man, accepts responsibility for every area of their life. It doesn't mean they're a great manager, mm-hmm. right? They might still need skills and relationships or making money or their health or whatever. But at least if they can sit there and say, this is my job to make this great. And if it's bad, that's also my fault. Yep. And so that means like, it doesn't matter what age you are, right? I mean, Jewish people, they have their bar mitzvahs at 13. And the assumption is that, hey, you better start taking responsibility for your own life or at least thinking about it. Right. I think that's what goes on. At 13. Yeah. Right. And some people are, you know, 150 years ago, that's when you're moved out of home, started your own farm, married your wife and started having children. Right. So, yeah, to answer your question, I I would say it all comes down to responsibility. Hmm. Seeing yourself as separate from your parents or your spouse or whatever. Yep. Yeah. I'd have to agree that understanding that you're in charge, whether it's good things, bad things, that that I, I'd have to agree that responsibility and, and taking ownership and, and even being aware of yourself, right? Well, and as we as you say that, the question that came out in my brain is, I wonder, I mean, obviously people will say whatever they want, but if you watch their lives, I wonder what percentage of men out there are actually men or if they're still boys. Oh, I'd, <laughs> I, I bet you it's a lot. I bet you it's a lot or still boys. Like if you ask them a question and they respond with, well, I can't do that because of this. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just waiting for someone to do this. Yeah. Right. I wonder. Well, I think if you look at our society as a whole and you look at kind of which way we're trending, what in any subject, which ways are we trending? Whether you want to talk about politics, whether it's you want communism. to talk about sports, whether you want to talk about anything, you know, education, uh, business, right? How, how like business ethics, you want to talk about anything, look at the ways that we're trending. And mm-hmm. I think you'll have your answer there as far as like the predominant uh, thoughts or the manliness in there as far as taking responsibility and, and ownership of things. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, where was this all, where, where did it all start? Like, are you born in Winnipeg? Yeah, so I born in St. Boniface Hospital, uh, spent a few years in Winnipeg, and then my parents, we moved out to St. Andrews. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's where I grew up, and that's actually where I live now. It's funny yeah. how that happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really normal upbringing as a kid. Okay. Born in Winnipeg, didn't travel much as a kid, other than to go camping and like just fun stuff. You know, what? our family didn't go on like trips. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what do you like about Winnipeg? What do you love about Winnipeg? Days like today. Cause I'm, just, like, I'm just looking yeah, at the window oh, and like 25, sunny, not a cloud in the sky and just like beautiful. Yeah. Um, what do I love about Winnipeg? Because mm. there's a reason you haven't moved away. Yeah. So what do I love about Winnipeg? I love the space explain there if i mean winnipeg's growing so i can't maybe say this like it used to be that you could be anywhere in winnipeg in half an hour now it's probably an hour but you know you can be 
out at a place like Spring Hill snowboarding in half mm-hmm. an hour. That's right. Or yeah. you can be out on some land doing quadding. You can be fishing. You can be active doing stuff mm-hmm. for not a lot of money really quick. Right. So that's what I like about Winnipeg. Number one is it's pretty convenient if you are a creative person. Okay. So creative in how you spend your time. Yeah. Yeah. I And my upbringing, I always liked uh, those things I mentioned, right? So like we create our own fun. Okay. And like, I remember a time when, when we moved to St. Andrews, we had a 1.6 acre lot. And for my brother's birthday, we took the quads we had, tied a rope to the back, and me and my brother would just sit there uh, wearing coveralls, grab onto a piece of wood on the end of the rope, and he just towed us around the lawn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Eventually, he graduated to us sitting in snow saucers. Mm-hmm. And this is like in, in August, right? And so we're just ripping around, and like that still sticks out in my brain. Or even just like, um, you know, the where we live, the ditches sometimes fill up with mud too much, so they yeah. would scrape them clean. And my dad, we had low spots in the lawn, so he just like, said dump the mud here and that mud stayed on those mounds for like five years Hmm. and eventually when it got leveled we just used that as the place to light things on fire because i had a certain phase of my life where i was a pyro Mm -hmm. i just like to burn Mm -hmm. things i think we all kind of went through that that (laughs) same thing so now there's a game on the ipad that you can actually either a burn things or ride behind a skidoo or something like that so you don't have to do it in real life now no you gotta experience the original (laughs) i know I know. Um, so when was the big, like, was there ever an aha moment? Was there ever something that like a light bulb turning on or was it like a gradual, I'm going to move to the next step. I'm just, I'm going to grow. I'm going to, was it gradual? I would say gradual. I mean, the, the passing of my father definitely was like, I would, you know, compare it to catching something in a jar and then just shaking it right and just like so you know i just went through a period of disorientation where um i wouldn't say that represented my growth that was just me having realizations about what is life what's worth living for you know what what's worth dying for and and then from that point on i I actually thought about death a lot and I still do today. But I'd say I'd say the biggest so from the jar shaking disorientation at that point I had no plan, I had no contacts. Uh and so I just remember praying for a mentor, right? Someone to help guide me. And I had a guy come into my world uh named Mike Cron and Mike displayed to me and spoke passionately about personal leadership. And he was associated with a company called The Team. Okay. I don't know if they're around anymore, but it was like, now looking back, I realized it was like an MLM type leadership company. Okay. And so I remember driving to Minneapolis to go to a conference with another guy named Brian Cornelson. And me and Brian were just listening to The Team audio series the whole way. And... And that's really when I became aware of my own mind, right? When I, 
began to realize that I could sit there and read a thought, focus on a principle, and then go out and take an action and see that I got the result that they said I would get. Mm. And that's when I realized like, wow, you mean my decisions are not unconscious? Like I can consciously make decisions? Mm -hmm. And I'd say that was like the aha moment because after then it was like the whole world opened up. I would read on everything, like everything. I would just read it and I would just start to build out this web of a worldview. And I was constantly testing it like a puzzle. Like I would read something and I'd test it and oh, that worked some of the time, but it's not quite complete. I'm going to leave it off to the side here. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things that I just kept doing over and over again. I was like, I can lean on this. right? And that was like a puzzle piece I put in the picture of my worldview and said, it's going to stay there. Right. Right. Un- until some groundbreaking thing changes that. Right. Yeah. But in life, you have to put faith in certain things. Right. And so, and you just, you always do the best you can with what you know. That's right. Yeah. So I'd say that was the aha moment was, Going to Minneapolis to this conference, hearing speakers speak about mindset and about decisions. And, you know, I was ready to receive. And at that point, I could look back on, you know, 18 years of my life and evaluate some of my decisions. I became aware of who I was right now mm-hmm. and what I believed right now and um, how much help I needed right now. And so, yeah, I came home and I just remember sitting on the couch in the condo just being like, I'm like a megazord. Like I'm like a sweet ass robot that I can read stuff and like put it into me and then act it out. And then it just becomes part of who I am. I feel a new nickname's coming on. Megazord. It might. I don't know if that one will <laughs> stick, but I think we can we can figure a different one out. You mentioned uh, thinking about death a lot. Yeah. Or at least more so than before. Uh, I know you're a I, I know you're a man with faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, that plays a big part in your life. Or do you think about dying? Are you afraid of death? Are you? Good question. Uh, no, I am not afraid of death. I do think about death quite a lot. And in, in, in what regards? Well, <laughs> that Madison will laugh at me because like. Sometimes it's like the biggest F you answer, right? Like we'll be arguing about something and sometimes I'll say, well, we're all dead anyway. And she's just like, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. yeah, that's not good enough. But um, but yeah, I I do think about it a lot, but it's just a reality. Like it, it helps me, it helps me understand what's a big deal and what's not. Like, is this going to matter when, when yeah. I'm dead? Like, I, it, like, it's so vivid in my brain. I remember watching my dad, 90 pounds, like a skeleton, his chest go up and then it goes down and it stayed down. Like, I watched him breathe his last breath. And I could remember him a year before that thinking of, you know, him loving my mom and and you know playing with us and he was present and he was real and i could touch him and i could talk to him and i could listen to him and and then suddenly he's just gone and so that's a moment where i was just like what is it all for right i was just obsessed at that point with sports and having fun and like nothing of real substance Mm -hmm. which what else would you expect from me i was an 18 year old kid with very loving protective, supportive parents. Yep. 
So, um, yeah, that's, it's interesting. It's just, so it, it's it, just there, you know? So you find that it, it, it puts stuff into perspective. Yeah. And it just keeps me living in the moment. Like, have you ever just like sat there and just closed your eyes and just breathed and then like listen to the birds and feel the wind and like begin to sing almost every morning it's for for the last six years i would say yeah like just that alone it's like you know and obviously that combined with my belief that you know god loves me and he loves each and every person Mm -hmm. on planet earth and that he wants a personal relationship with them um to me i just immediately what comes out of me is joy and thankfulness okay so so yeah no when i think of death it's not this final thing it's it's just a transition Mm -hmm. that's it yeah yeah that 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 can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people right totally yeah thinking about death um how, how did what was the hardest part about coming into Stratford Price or mm. starting Stratford Price and cuz you did student pro yeah right and then you branched off and and opened it up yeah so so I started student works I learned the basic structure of business and I I got uh competent at every part of business okay the the basic functions like recruiting marketing sales fulfillment admin I touched it all yeah and so then when I started coaching with Stefan, I was running a company called Afford a Pro Painting. And that was my sole proprietorship. And after, I think that's one of the reasons it took me so long to get a deal too, is because I was so focused on brand, right? Like I, I couldn't do something I didn't believe in. Okay. And the more and more I coached with Steph and the more and more I looked at Afford a Pro and I looked at my life and I looked at my value system, I was just like, this is so not me. It just sounds cheap. It sounds terrible. Like Doesn't I sound like up. a Mickey Mouse, you know, guy. He's just running around there slinging painted stuff, you know? And that's when Stefan said to me, you live as a brand or you die as a commodity. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about how can I have my business connect to myself and my values and my story so that I actually want to invest in it, right? And so, you know, this is all written about in my book, Business Romance, actually, that's in there. There's a section that talks about how the name came to be. Okay. Um, but uh, in that in that uh, live as a brand and die as a commodity, you know, I came up with the name and mistakenly placed it on a painting company. Like I was thinking big picture vision, like far in the future, Mm -hmm. but the only thing I had was this little painting company. Right. Right. And so I just Stratford Price painting. Okay. And like, I kept bashing my head against the wall, trying to weave these like high level concepts into a painting business. And like, nobody cared. Right. Nobody believed in as much as me. Nobody was like as passionate about, you know, service and like, you know, uh, growing people. And, you know, I was just like a tiny business. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so that's why when Buell came along and I had a chance to buy it, I was like, there's my escape. <laughs> um, How big was Stratford Price when you bought Buell? We were about a one and a half million dollar business. Okay. Yeah, we had about 20 employees and um, yeah, 20 employees. And we're doing mostly commercial and property management work. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when, when Buell became available, we just, that was the same year I did a company restructure. So it was actually kind of nice. Like I, for reasons I probably won't get into today, maybe we will, I don't know, but I had to gut the company. Uh, I had a guy in there who was making all the money because I would not hold him accountable. Okay. And uh, I, I actually, that was a huge problem for me personally. And when I read a book called Boundaries, it changed how I thought about life, myself, my choices. And I realized that, hey, Jason, up until now, you've been really good at performing and um, achieving success with your skills, but you are desperately afraid of what people think of you. And... Um, and you're afraid of being alone. And those two things caused me to always keep the wrong people around mm -hmm. and keep out the good people. There's no room for them. So that's like, that's like poisonous boundaries 101. Like you're doing everything wrong. Right. Right. You're keeping the, the good people out and you're letting the bad people in. Yep. Right. And so, um, I had to fire him because there's no coming back. He was making way too much money. In his mind, he was just suddenly worth that and nothing less. So I was like, okay. So the carnage ensued and like I lost a bunch of money in 2019. And But that's when Buell also came for sale in August. And I bought it and then 2020 was better. 2021 was better. This year's probably the best year we've ever had so far. Yep. Uh, this year is so good because I'm at a place now in the business where I have a, a manager, I have uh, a sales guy, another project manager, an admin. They have a lovely office they work out of. I spend maybe five hours a week on the business and uh, I read three reports every month and, and I have one conversation with a guy and that's generally my input right now. I'll go to high level networking events to keep the, the pipelines flowing, mm -hmm. but that's where we're at and uh, it's fun to just kind of be in that place where you're just turning knobs. Right? Little like tweaks A little here more of this, a yep. little less of that. Yep. Sprinkle in a little of that. How did that work? Oh, I'll check it out in the next month report. Like that's when, to me, I'm, that's fun. That's a lot of fun when you can just kind of, you know, you're not worried about like, I need more guys and I need more work. That's right. More I mean, where, that still happens. Where do those clients come from? Are they repeat clients? Are yeah. they word of mouth? Or do you yeah. market a lot for Buell? I'm, I would say I'm a pretty average to poor marketer. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. I'm I'm a fantastic networker and a fantastic at building relationships, and so we're very deeply entrenched in the property management community. We've got a bunch of uh, high end construction companies and high end renovators we work with. Maybe one day that'll be Emmett Leo Homes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, and so, yeah, it's mostly repeat business and uh, and being in the construction community. Beautiful. Yeah. So, so Stefan always talked about, well, Stefan talked about marketing 
a lot. We mm-hmm. talked about sales a lot and branding a lot, right? And it's also something that uh, Gary Vee has made very popular now mm-hmm. as far as if you have good sales, the marketing side doesn't have to be that great. Mm-hmm. But if you have good marketing, the sales take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So this Buell right now, mm-hmm. not doing a lot of marketing? No. Okay. Do you need to? At this point, no. Uh, if we did, the only thing that would happen is we'd tell people, we're booking four weeks out or eight weeks out, and they'd be like, okay, thanks for letting me know. And we may or may not get the job. It'd almost be like a, a pretty poor return, right? For me, what I'm focused on right now is, is creating a workplace that's way more competitive than ever, any other company. Okay. To, uh, to, to, it's almost like a harvest on talent. That's what I'm trying to do. What, what do you mean by that? Like within, so within your people. Yeah. Listen to their needs. Yep. And think of creative ways to solve those needs personally and professionally through my business. Right. Like for example, I, I'm in the middle of uh, developing a home ownership program for my employees. A lot of like, it's no secret, right? It's all over the news. Inflation, this, you know, shortages that right fear 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 i'll never have it you know it's it's constantly out of my reach so um you know we have everyone in the business has an opportunity to earn bonuses on performance okay and what i may do in the future and i'm thinking is that they can choose to take those bonuses as cash or we can put them as deposits on homes and they can rent to own homes. Okay. Or just as we market for property, which is mostly what I do now, right, is real estate and investing. Um, we can just literally hand them private opportunities to buy, you know, under market value real estate that maybe needs some love. Yep. So bonus structure is really hard. I've had a lot of business owners on here. And, and everyone thinks different about bonus structures, yeah. try different things. Mm-hmm. Some work really well, some don't work at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's very difficult because not everyone's motivated by money. Yeah. Um, you know, how much money, you know, should a bonus be as far as for what, uh, what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you over incentivize, now you're setting the bar a little you I've know, been there. Right. That's why I had to restructure my company and why it crashed. Yeah. yeah. Why I almost went bankrupt. Yeah. Well, haven't we all? <laughs> I, I think anyone who hasn't been close really hasn't felt the pain of just, you know. Yeah. Oh, man. It was shitty. It was shitty. Wow. But uh, well, um, uh, through the coaching um, that we took early on, they always talked about the dip, mm-hmm. right? Did you experience that? Was there a was there a big kind of low yeah, before it, your first deal or before no, you felt the first like you deal was fantastic. Okay, bought it at and Stefan he talks about this in his courses. Like he uses me as an example on negotiation. Okay, we basically tied up a house at eighty five. I did off a of Kijiji lead, and then we but we good cop bad copped it. He left sounding super pissed off and I went in and got a $22,000 discount for a small like vertical crack in a foundation. Crazy. 
And uh, so we bought it at 63. I put in like 20K and sold it for 132. And that was, so I, I basically paid off all my coaching right there. Yep. And then I did a second deal that year. But the dip happened for me when I became proud. When again, that same ugly habit surfaced of wanting to be liked and admired. Mm-hmm. And I began to buy deals that, at bad prices just so I looked impressive. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think it was 2017. I just, I had so many money losing deals uh, that I almost, yeah, I almost went under Mm. like 2017 and then almost again in 2019 (laughs) for totally different businesses, but the same fundamental flaw of like pride, wanting to be liked, not wanting to be alone. Mm-hmm. I was, I, so, so that was I the dip. The that was like thing, the pit yeah. of despair where I was just like, fuck me. Like, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast, but that, you can that, say whatever you want. That, that was like, that was, I'd say probably 2019 was the point where anyone who looked at me or listened to me would probably say, this guy's a cynic. Hmm. Like, I was just so broken down at like, you know, I had made a lot of money in real estate and then I like, I lost it all. (laughs) Then I made a lot of money in painting and then I lost it all. And I was just like, what the hell's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So what kept you, what kept you moving? Uh, I mean, nobody likes to be broke. Probably just like. But there are people that, that stop, right? Yeah. I mean, what kept me moving was. I would say over most that time, people stop. Yeah, over that, like, I wish I brought it here today as a prop, but, like, ever since I was 18, I journaled. Okay. And what would happen is I would, like I said, build my worldview, which largely came from reading books, going to church, right, my personal relationship with God, those conversations, and just living life. And... um when I when I was failing miserably, at one point, I had failed once already before that. And I, I always go through this ritual every year where I go in my journal and I just like comb through it. I look at all the writing I did in it. I make the edits. I reprint it. And then I file the old one away. And so you can literally see a progression of how I've grown as a person. What do you mean you reprint it? It's called my legacy book. Like, it's like, like a, you, you, you print it out, you rewrite it. What do you do? I'd have to show you, but it's like okay. literally a journal on my life. Like someone could read this thing. It's kind of like Stefan's book, Self-Made, except mine is like my whole life. Okay. Since I woke up when, when I was 18. Yeah. And so the funny thing is, is that as I failed, I looked back in this journal and I saw that in times of clarity, I had found the truth, right? And the truth, let's say one is I'm responsible for my life. And so I couldn't quit because I knew that I created this, right? And then I would think back to a success I had with student works where I set records. I did a ton of business. I got awards. And I think, and I was like, well, what happened there? Well, you made it about the customer. You made it about solving the problem. You didn't make it about you, Jason, right? And so I was, I couldn't, I couldn't, pull the truth out of my brain. I'd put it in so deep. So when I was sitting there in my own pity, I was like, well, 
this is my fault. And it was a struggle. Some days I was like, this is my fault. Some days I was like, this is this person's fault. And that's this person's fault. And if they wouldn't have stole from me there, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So that was 2019 where I was basically battling, giving up and becoming a cynic or continuing to push through it. Right. So you're, you're battling all of this. How does the idea of buying Buell come about? Like buying a business is, 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 it's a scary thing if you've never done it before. Like, it's not like you're going out and buying a car or a house or a, yeah. you know, there's moving parts in there. There's mm-hmm. people, there's a whole bunch of unknowns too hiding under the, the carpet. So mm-hmm. where do you get the, the, the balls to do it? Where do you get the money to do it? And where do you get the, the info to do it? So, uh, First of all, the balls came because uh, the education came from someone smarter than me, which helped me structure the money so that the balls could show up. <laughs> okay. So again, it so came, it came from it came education. from clarity. Yes, it came yeah. from clarity. It came from education. You know, a good friend of mine. He works at Lawton Partners. Yep. Um, his name is Ryan. He is a certified business analyst. He's got a bunch of letters after his name. Brilliant guy, you know, manages a ton of money. And and he, you know, Lawton Partners clients are high net worth people who are usually business owners. Okay. And so he's used to sitting down with their business and saying, this is what's wrong. This is what we have to do. Oh, you made more money? Okay, give it to us so we can invest it, right? Mm-hmm. So, So I just told Ryan about this opportunity and I said, you know, can you sit down with this and just tell me under what conditions you would buy this? Because I said, I, I think I'm onto something here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he just laid out to me, okay, this is how you value a business. This is like the multiple in your industry. These are some risks you got to watch out for, right? Like when I bought the business, the number one risk was, he said, well, let me see the customer list. He's like, the assets, there's none. There's basically none. Like sprayers, ladders, like all that stuff, it's tiny, Yep. right? So he's really like the list. And so, and, and the name, right? How how sticky is the name? Yep. And, you know, I learned that Buell had been around for like 60 years, right? It started by a German immigrant. Like at one point it was the biggest, I think the biggest painting company in Western Canada. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, so I like stickiness, got it. Um, uh, value. So we had a customer list and, is that recurring clients? Or yes. Is that, okay. I did get a customer list and I got multiple years of financial statements and multiple years of list. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I could start to like trend it out. Yep. Um, but there was a significant amount of revenue coming from like a handful of customers. And now it's like second nature. I'm like, oh, duh. Like that's risky. But at the time I was like, oh, this is great. I don't have to land as many clients. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I, you know, talked with him, he's like, well, when ownership changes, like you lose people, you yep. lose employees, you lose clients, like you just lose people. Yep. Uh, he said, the first thing you want to do is get on the phone with these clients, introduce yourself, tell them your background, meet them if you can, and just like get, keep the warm and fuzzies going. And, uh, but because so much of the revenue came from so few clients, we got to a valuation number that 
uh, made sense to me. Okay. Um, and the funny thing is, is that Buell approached me through a broker two years before the deal actually happened, trying to sell to me for like way more. monster multiple. For way more. Right. Right. And what happened over the two years, like I said, no. And then what happened over the two years was that those guys just totally lost interest in the business, retired, like customer service went terrible. Yep. Employees, you know, caring went terrible. And then a guy I know bought the building that Buell was operating out of. And the guy who bought it, he goes to my church and he was like a car guy, Mm. right? He loves cars. And uh, he thought, well, I'll just buy the business too. And then he realized he's not a guy meant for this industry, right? He's a salesman, right? Really good at it. But operations and like the intricacies of like painting can be, well, you know, right? Like if it doesn't just look right on the wall, you know, your $5 million client or their $5 million home, they're going to paint it all, right? So, so yeah, he tried to buy the business and he just kind of hurt the value even more. And then that's that point, I just scooped it. Right. Um, so good timing on it. Yeah, good timing. And he was just like, you know what? Done with it. He's like, this is the number I think is fair. And I basically uh, put... I negotiated, uh, you know, a very favorable amount of money down for me. And then I would pay out the remainder of the business purchase on a commission from the customer list he gave me. Interesting. Okay. And so that was how I would basically communicate to him like, hey, if your business is worth what you say it is, you should be able to get your this price might be a problem. problem. Yep. And that's how it all went down. Right. Yeah, that's smart. But I had advice from from ryan on on that structure right right so so you had somebody guiding you through yes helping you out yeah yeah um so now you kind of have two very distinct and different experience you started a business and now you're buying a business Mm -hmm. what is what is something that's very clear to you on the hardest part about starting a business Mm. versus buying a business First of all, buying is so much easier. <laughs> in my opinion, like especially knowing what I know now about raising money and negotiation, like so much easier. Right? So uh the hardest thing about starting a business I would say is you don't quite know your place in the market. Mm. Unless you just go ham and just like start right? You're you're either going to do more planning or more action. Right. Yep. Right? And so if you just like go ham and go for it, um, then it's not that hard to start. You just fucking go. You just do something. Yeah. Right? Like, what can I sell out there? Okay, let's fucking go. Yep. Um, and, uh, but if you're going to plan, then, uh, yeah, finding your place in the market, like you got to learn who, who are the players? How do they price themselves? What's their value offering? Right? Like in business school, I did all this stuff in classes and I never cared about any of it. I did the work to get the grades um, in the first half of my degree. Second half, after I franchised, that's when I took way more ownership over all my classes. I was actually involved. I was actually interested. Mm-hmm. And I like when I had to do a business plan, I was like, okay, well, guys, 
we're not thinking about this. And like, well, that's not in the textbook. I'm like, I don't care. It <laughs> that's matters. That's what happens in real life. It matters. Right. right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you, you got to think about so many things. So yeah, the hardest part is really like staying encouraged. Mm-hmm. To me, to me <laughs> it's like a roller coaster. You know, the dark web, the fog of war, the shroud of business and whatever you're fighting in, everything's unknown. And so the biggest fight is like, will you give up? I often have a a lot of, if ever I talk to firefighters, they'll always ask me, do you regret quitting? And the answer is no, but they'll say, well, how's it going? And the, the answer is always the same. Well, either today is either A or B. It's either the best day ever <laughs> or it's the worst day in f- fucking life. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's just, it is a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and Madison makes fun of me all the time because I'll just say like, business is awesome. <laughs> I love business. Like I just love, I'm so like, I'm excited just, right I'm killing, now. I'm killing it. Yeah. And then there's some days I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm getting my ass handed to me like payroll. You know, someone's out there wanting a, you know, well, you know, I took over black card, you know, someone wants a refund, you know, someone's not happy here, you know, uh, someone did something dumb over there, right? And my name's on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh gosh. Yep. But yeah, those days where you're like on a boat on the lake in Kenora on uh, a Thursday, whatever, if you can get away, yep. um, you're just like, and things are just humming along. You're like, I'm a genius. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm a genius. Look at my life. I did it. Yep. 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 Look at me. Y'all wanna be me. I know it. But yeah, so it is as you say, it's it's uh yeah, it's every day just yeah. It's like Christmas every day. <laughs> you either get a lump or coal or the best gift ever. Right. So you open the door a little bit there, uh mentioning black card. And real estate education, mm-hmm. um, you've decided to make the massive leap mm-hmm. into the space by acquiring Black Card University, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or what was formerly known as Black Card. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that journey, uh, purchasing it, uh, d- well, I guess first, analyzing it, deciding mm-hmm. about it, purchasing it, um, and now you're shaking it up mm-hmm. and how you plan to make it into something even more successful. Mm. Yeah. So, so when Stefan passed, I approached the current leadership and I said, guys, I've been here alongside him. I'm a very close friend of his. And, um, you know, I got to see and hear a lot of his ideas and whatnot. And I said, I have a passion for teaching. I love seeing people get educated in things that, you know, make a difference in their lives. And um, I was like, I think I can help here. And they they collect, collectively looked at each other and said, you know what, we got it. We're good. I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I just let it go, right? I learned my boundary problem. I was like, okay, I'm just going to let it go, yeah. right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no, okay. right? So I got a no. I was like, okay, no, no problem. And so I left alone for two years and... Uh, I just assumed it was doing well, right? Me and the, the guy that was running it, we had a disagreement. He didn't like me and I stopped getting invited to events and whatnot. 
And uh, so I just thought, you know, it'll be what it, it'll be whatever it is, right? I've let it go. And uh, in March this year, I was uh, in Florida with Madison visiting her parents at their their home there. Where and, in Florida? Uh, it's on the west side, west coast. Um, so yeah, I was in I was in Florida, and I was on the way to an air show at an airbase in a bus and I was supposed to have an introductory call with Glenn Tunyon, right? You know Glenn and Gwen? No? I don't oh, think so. Uh, Glenn, uh, he was, he came to all the events too, like all the okay. investor events and he owns a property management company. Beautiful. Okay. And he manages Stefan's properties. I'm sure I know. He, he also, he also stores my, my classic car in the okay. winter. Um, and so I was supposed to have a call with Glenn because he was launching something called the Wealthy Landlord, which was his info platform okay. with his offering. And I called him that morning. I said, like, Glenn, I'm on a bus to an air show. I really don't think this is a good idea for me to see what you got. He's like, no problem. Oh, by the way, I was talking with Jan, uh, Stefan's mom, the other day, and she's looking for a buyer for a black card. And I'm just like, huh? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I show the text to Madison. I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, this should have been over a long time ago, right? Two years. And because uh, I, I told him what I was doing with Business Romance, which was like my education, like because I was wanting to teach people business acumen, like how to grow a business, systemize, um, buy a business, right? From what, from what, little experience I had, okay. but I thought, you know, might as well start. Right. And so, um, so I just messaged Jan and I just said like, is this real? What's going on? What's your needs? Like, where's the business at? And okay. then we just began a conversation back and forth over two months. And, um, it ultimately landed with her, uh, her and I coming to an agreement and then day one was May 13th of this year, and it was a hostile takeover. <laughs> Crazy. It was a hostile takeover. So, um, but I mean, she wasn't happy with uh, with a bunch of stuff, but that's, you know, not for me to say. Well, so you're, you're coming into this, and, it, and it's, a, it's an interesting space, right? So your competitors mm-hmm. in, in Canada are, are some big names, right? Like... The key spires, uh, mm-hmm. rich dad, poor dad, which isn't, I don't think it as big up here. Um, and there's, there's quite a few others, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you, how did you view it? And, and as I'm going to turn this thing around from, from what it's become now. I just knew that the, my experience was that the events were amazing. The content was amazing and it had, it, and it had, worked. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. produced so many high-quality people. Like, you won Investor of the Year in 2016, yeah. Yeah. right? Like, that's a huge honor. Um, you know, I got nominated for a couple of awards in 2017. And when I look at the lineup of the people that went through the company, it's just like, these are, like, these people are, are smart doing people. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, they're just like, they're like my people, you know? Yeah. So um, I knew the content was good. I knew that COVID had caused the market to change. I didn't fully understand what the market needed, Mm -hmm. but I just felt that the content was so good that I was like, it probably needs like some repurposing, you know, uh, 
there's probably some relationships that were hurt, some brand stuff that's been hurt. It's like, I'm going to have to do some repair there. Yep. But I just had uh, a gut feeling, let's say, that uh, the company had a lot going for it still. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. Um, when you're looking at this, what are you... What are you going to make it? Mm. Yeah, so so up until now, we've basically been fixing stuff. Okay. Just like bringing the brand back into integrity, right? Okay. There was just things that were promised that were never done. So we're just fixing that, right? So now we're starting to answer these questions of like, where are we taking it? Yeah, what's your vision for it? Yeah, so um, the words school of the future okay. really ring out in my head. And I know it's big and broad and vague. Um, I think it's, we are both products of a one-on-one mentorship relationship. Yep. Right. And we both had a certain level of confidence and like resources to commit to something like that. Yep. Right. Not everyone can do that. So, well, we know they can, but like mentally they have to get there. Right. So we're definitely going to continue to do the one-on-one coaching relationship, okay. right? And promoting that so that coaches can have, you know, uh, essentially a, a, a someone they're mentoring um, that is helping the coach and, and holding them accountable to doing branding and their own personal brand and their own stuff. And uh, being someone, someone that almost resembles like an assistant that as the coach generates leads, they're setting them into their calendar. They're closing them as students and they have a, you know, a cl- fall class of 2022 and a spring class of whatever for that coach. Okay. Right. So definitely still the real estate coaching, a little more structure in terms of the sales. The sales will be a little more decentralized. Okay. Um, and, but what I'm bringing to the mix as well is expanded curriculums right? We want to have people learning different strategies in real estate. And not only that, but I want to bring in what business romance represents, which is more on the business side, right? There's real estate and business, right? So, you know, in those curriculums, we want to teach people how to buy businesses, how to evaluate them, how to raise money for them. Um, you know, business and real estate. And, um, we know that people who perform well in business or real estate, they have a proper worldview, right? They, they see the world in enduring truths, right? Irrespective of religion, right? But enduring truths that always work. And so that's going to become a component moving forward is, you know, Stefan had a vision of uh, a certain section of the school called power and ethics. Okay. Right. And that's really where, you're challenging people um, with, you know, stoic and uh, enduring philosophies to help them develop their own worldview, which should make the results of the real estate or the business side of things so much better, right? So, I mean, and, and through this process, the hope is that we change culture through business, right? There's many pillars that influence culture, right? You got arts, you got entertainment, you got education, you got business, health, right? All these. So for me and my skill set, I want to change culture through business. 
right? Okay. I want to, like through Black Card and whatever entity we might call it in the future, right? Or if Black Card's a part of a larger thing or whatever, um, we want to make sure that as as weak men create hard times, that we are a resource to people to help create uh, strong men in business, right? right? Yep. So these things will rise up, right? And I think Blackheart is, and the people are perfectly positioned to be able to um, find the people that want change. Mm-hmm. Or not even find them, but just be present and they'll find us. And we'll say, hey, we're here to help you create change for you. Well, so this is where this is where marketing is going to come in in a huge way, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you're communicating a message. Yeah. And now you're going to have to put out there what you want to attract in. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what you're looking for is um, people that either want to be better in their own lives and make things work a little better, whether that's real estate or business, um, but also people who who really want to supercharge kind of stuff and and through through mentoring or, or one-on-one coaching um, are really going to be able to 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 go to the next level. Um, what is something that you think that whether are you sticking with black card, it's going to be, it, th- is there I another think, name? Is there I think a- I think Black Card will will continue to exist. It just might not be the sole focus. Okay, right. It might be a part of a larger thing. Okay, is there something that you believe that goes against others in this area of business, like your competitors? You know, we mentioned a few. Mm. What are they focusing on that you are just either not buying into, or you think? Is there something that you believe that is more important than what they're pushing? I'll be honest. I don't follow Keyspire very closely yet. Yep. Right. I, I think. I think what it comes down to is that we want to we want to make sure that the people in the business and the students we bring in that they are we're going to promote honesty, like. 100% honesty with yourself and your situation, right? And just like people rooted and grounded in reality. I, I don't know if that makes, if that's answering your question. It, it, like they just, It absolutely does. And it needs some elaboration. Yeah. So from, from my perspective, what I think is, is just from, from hearing you talk, it sounds like one of the biggest issues is, uh, people. So when people come in to real estate, there are, or even education, you've said that the, that the system works. I know that the system works Mm because I've been through it. People come in and it's, if if it doesn't work, generally it's the people that don't work. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but what is that thing? Right. Why don't they work? And generally it's because from what I've heard you say is what's been, what's made the biggest difference in your life has been taking responsibility mm-hmm. and awareness of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I was coaching, that was the hardest part about coaching. It was exhausting. It's like being a psychologist 
that has to walk people through their own minds and their own mm-hmm. shit and their own excuses and lies and all this and really, you know, get to the root of everything. Yeah, that's, and it's second nature to me because I journal so much and, and I'm just, I know where lying takes me mm. in my own life. Yep. Like when I lie to myself, I just have to remember the lies and then I have to like, I, I end up lying even more. Right. And then I end up doing less and I become jealous of other people and then I try to tear them down. And then, you know, I feel guilty for being that kind of person. Like it's just this all kinds of fuckery, like in my own brain. Well, a lot of most of the thoughts we have could be lies. Yeah. Right. Because we can analyze Mm -hmm. thoughts as they come in. We can, Mm -hmm. you know, we're telling ourselves stories and whether or not they're true or not. It's whatever we focus on and whatever we tell our brain to go mm-hmm. find facts to support it, right? Mm-hmm. Most cars are red. Is that true? I don't know, mm-hmm. right? Let's. I'm going to go out there and see red cars if I want to and just mm-hmm. forget everything else, right? So wherever we really focus and, and decide to push our mind towards, like go find facts about this to support, yes. to make sure I'm right, right? That's the ego. Mm-hmm. the the ego is there to protect us and it's there to to make us right mm-hmm. and so we love being right and so i've i've really found that when we're when you start analyzing your own stories that you're telling yourself mm-hmm. and if you look at it from a perspective of there's there's neither right nor wrong there's only what serves us and what doesn't serve us and if we look at that and say okay well one what do i want ultimately from a mm-hmm. from a place of truth and which of these stories about this is going to point me towards that? And like, now we're not even talking real estate. We're not talking education or business, even though all of it plays into it. But see, all of those things are proven. A hundred percent. So it's like, if people give an excuse, like, well, no, it's going to work. And I'm going to do this and that. It's just like, well, okay. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to work, but what's, what's the thing that's going to make it work or not work? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, but people got to get there. They, they got to get there. And if they don't, then it's their fault. And like, I don't know, man. But like, as a coach, your job is to make, like, use less words and just tell them the truth. Right. Speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Right. That's uh, biblical. Um, but like, don't just give it to them. Isn't it funny how the deeper, for how the how the more you grow, the more you start thinking about like values. The more you start thinking about because there's div- nothing divinity new under the sun. and truth and right. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. Like every like yeah, we're new technology for sure, hundred percent. New ways to do things better, hundred percent. Yep. Right, but like yeah, people have to people have to understand that they are a free-willed human being, that they are able to make their own choices and that those choices got them to where they are. And so they have to sit down and catalog all the choices and and sit down with someone who is where they want to be and say, this is my story. What do I do? Well, that's, that's, that's past, right, as well. Mm-hmm. We can also go even further and mm-hmm. say, what do you want to create? Yes, 100%. Right? So over here, we can look at, okay, here's how we got here. Mm -hmm. 
where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And like, let's shape this shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, everyone's got to have that moment where they, they like, it's almost like, uh, someone had that quote, like you're born twice, like once when you're born, another, when you become responsible or something like that. Can't remember what it was, but like that, that process of taking responsibility for your life. It's not like you just wake up and you just take responsibility. It's usually you got to like sift through some crap, mm-hmm. which usually includes, you know, some hurt, some disappointment, some fear, maybe like some jealousy. Right. But ultimately you got to, you got to get to the place where you realize I made the choice mm-hmm. and I got the result and I need to figure out why I made the choice and maybe I need to forgive myself and maybe I need to forgive someone else. And then now I can actually take that volatile, you know, hurtful thing. Now it becomes, uh, what's that word in chemistry where it's uh, stable, like inert. Suddenly this like volatile experience that hurts you and every time you think about it, you get burned and you get burned. Ah, fuck, you know, and now you can actually take it and it becomes inert because you've forgiven you, forgiven someone else. And you can put it on the shelf or in your worldview and say, okay, now that is part of my legacy. Move on. Move on, move yeah. on, move on, move on, move on, move on. Yeah, learn from it, move on. And like that might take a year. Like for me, um, my journal, my legacy book that I'm showing that I that I was talking about, that was like 14 years of just journaling. Mm. It was 10 different Word documents. Now it's one book. It's more convenient to carry. Mm-hmm. But like I'm very happy to say that my life right now is not confusing. I actually laugh when I find myself making the same mistakes. I'm like, oh, we talked about this, Jason. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Remember what happened when you did that? Yeah. You got this. Stop doing that. Right? And I actually find it funny. Um, probably because I've been through some trauma. <laughs> See, but, I, like uh, making, I like making the same mistakes a few times. Just to make just, sure just to, that I've really burnt it in there, that the pain's enough. Yeah. Because have, have you ever... So I'm, I'm a very big believer in... You will not change until the pain of not changing becomes great, greater than the pain of changing. Yeah, and we talk about to all the people on coaching. Mm-hmm. We we have to get there with them, right? Through conversation. Anyways, go on. You were saying no. That's that's it. So it's I I I feel like like I did I lived my life a, a certain weight for you know thirty some years before I actually started but before the pain of not changing mm. became greater than what it took me to take responsibility and be aware of myself and, and take ownership of everything. And and I write about that in my book, Business Romance. I say, life is work. You're either going to work hard to produce a life you love, or you're going to work hard surviving and repairing a life you hate. Right. Either way, it's work, right? Some might argue, say, well, my life's pretty easy, actually. I just smoke pot and hang out all day and do nothing. It's like, well, then it's going to, like, you're, you're just running, right? If you can't admit that your life is 
in pain right now or it's work, right? Because over time, like if you have a purposeless existence where you're not leading it, eventually the people who are high value people who you should hang on to, they don't want to be around you, right? Your health doesn't want to be around you, right? Like everything just kind of like that mm-hmm. dies, right? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's change it up from, uh, from mindset to how do you go about balance in your life as far as, you know, your family, your time, your faith, and, and, and how much do you think about it? Well, again, I think about death a lot. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always checking the reasons why I'm doing something. And that's usually one of the th- places I start for balancing, right? Because usually people say like, well, I'm having trouble balancing. And it's just like, well, what are your priorities? So like for me, you know how you can't, well, you build houses, right? You build a terrible foundation, you, you're you screwed, right? So for me, when I look at my life experiences, I couldn't learn other things until I learned these things. Okay. And some of the few foundational things I I learned that I always lean on now is that the workday starts the night before. So like at the end of every night, I always go through this period of silence and, you know, reflection where I'm like, okay, what's important tomorrow? And I'll just plan it. I'll time block it all out. Mm-hmm. And then I wake up and I'm just like, I've thought about this already. Let's just go. Right. So, um, so that planning, tie, planning that, is definitely very important. So that ties into a routine that you've got. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, you know, I've, I'm usually up early. I'm a morning person. Okay. So, you know, I'll usually get up early and the first thing I'll do is either read my journal or, uh, you know, I've got these, I've got these, uh, flashcards that just have Bible verses on the other side. So, I, it's funny. It serves two purposes. Number one, I just like my memory is pretty good actually, just from memorizing okay. stuff. Yep. But number two, it's just like quick reminders of of my worldview, right? And um, and and so that just helps keep my mind focused on like what really matters. And then at that point, once my mind is focused on what really matters, which is more who I am mm-hmm. than what I have. Then at that point, I think my mind switches from, okay, well, I, I God's the owner of things. I'm a manager of things. So what has he put in my life to manage? And if it's businesses or whatever, now it's like, okay, well, what are my goals on there? What do I have to achieve today? What is, uh, you know, cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to, um, I believe God's an investor. Right, and he wants to return. So for the people he he puts, uh, you know, that put in the work to basically, you know, uh, develop strong character. He's like, hey, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, it wasn't a quote from Spider Man, right? That's biblical. So, um, so yeah, at that point, I mean, I I love business. I think that. Um, that's also a clue. It's like what you love to do is a sign of what you should be prioritizing that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, your question, I know I'm way off base, but you asked me about balance. 
So uh, for me, routine is important. And, um, and as well, having an accountability person. Mm. Okay. And luckily, my fiance, future wife, she's very different than me. So yeah. when I live my life alongside her and I tell her my priorities, she says, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Mm-hmm. Right. Or she'll say, oh, this Saturday we're hanging out with your mom. And I was like, oh, I was going to work Saturday. She's like, no, you haven't seen your mom in a while. We need to make time for your mom. Hmm. Okay. So to me, it's like planning, prioritization, and accountability. So you really got to invest a lot in that life partner. You're coming into, well, one, I, I completely agree with that. Who you're, who you're marrying your life into and picking a partner, that's probably one of the biggest choices you'll ever make. Um, I'm, I'm excited for you because you are, <laughs> you're walking into the trifecta of insanity. Bring it on, you're baby. You're walking into marriage, which in itself is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, one of the best things you'll ever do, but it takes the most amount of work and mm-hmm. you get the most amount of payoff if you're willing to do that work. From it, whether you guys decide to have kids or not, mm. also is going to be a monster change of some sort in yeah. your life because that is just holy shit. You know, you think you have any time right now or you don't have any time? Yeah. Wow. And so I I know you're somebody that likes a challenge. And yeah. so you are you're in the right direction for, yeah. for setting yeah. yourself up for, for a it. challenge yeah. We're here. A hundred percent. Um so what do you wish people knew about business that most don't? You're talking to 18-year-old Jason. What do you tell him? I think there's not one thing, but I'm going to pick on this one because I think it's important in culture right now. It's not about you. Yeah, for sure, set your income goals and all your other goals, but really, if you focus on serving and solving problems and and being excellent, then you're going to have probably the most enjoyable path through business. You're going to be able to sleep at night that you didn't screw people, mm-hmm. right? That you didn't cut corners, that you didn't, you know, um, try to be bigger than you are. And then suddenly you got to fire someone who's a good person, right? Who you just didn't train properly, mm. right? Maybe they didn't their do, do, maybe they didn't do their job right. Right. There's always two sides to every story, but that's what I'd say is like business is not about you. It's about you being useful to people. And if you want to learn more about that idea, read the book, Thou Shall Prosper, written by a Jewish rabbi, because the very first is he talks about that. He talks about the 10 commandments of making money and commandment number one. Have you read this? I haven't. Okay. Commandment number one is believe in the dignity and morality of business. Right? And how what you do helps the most amount of people imaginable. Like mm. if you wake up every day and you're like, I, I have chosen to spearhead a solution and a bunch of people behind me believe in me. 
right? How can you not enjoy what you're doing? So obviously, like, you know, there's things you don't know, right? It's hard work. It's always going to yeah, be hard it's work. It's hard work, yep. you know. Um, people are just, they're not perfect, right? You wake up in the morning and you, you don't know what they were reading last night. And, yep. Right? What they were watching, what movies, how they think, how they see things, you know. So that's the challenge. But yeah, I'd say number one, it's not about you. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. Um, so we're coming up on about an hour and a half now. And really? Already? <laughs> I know it flies. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to know, though, is you knew you were coming on here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you had some expectations of what we were going to talk about, what we weren't going to talk about. Who knows? But, you know, that you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? No, man. This was like very, I enjoyed this very much. This was a good start. Mm -hmm. This is a good start. We don't hang out enough. No. You should have asked me when I'm free for lunch. That's what you should have asked me. Well, I think we talked about squash, (laughs) right? Didn't we Uh, talk about squash last time? I think we did. We mentioned playing squash. Okay. So yes, that's what you should have asked me. Um... I'm I I don't hang out often. Oh yeah. I don't okay. like there's not I don't know it's weird. But I do play squash and I do do lunches. Oh, okay. Good. Cuz it's important. Yeah. Um but I'm in. Okay. Uh so I think oh dude. I can I'm excited to play this back a few years from now when we do the <laughs> next one and you are in your next ventures and you're in your you know your family and things have changed yeah. and it, it'll be really interesting to see how, how you've grown. And, and I'll look and, back at this and be like, wow, he was pretty, uh, yeah. I feel like I'll, I feel like I still have the same level of enthusiasm. Just who knows where I'll be. I have yeah, no idea. I know it's exciting. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you have uh, decided to take on a monumental uh challenge here um with black card and and all of these companies that you're moving into um i wish you all the best um i know that we're going to be talking more yes and uh i'm i'm looking forward to see what you can do like i said we don't know what we don't know but we can only live one day at a time so i'm just happy i'm here chatting with you yeah win the day that's right all right brother thanks so much for being here thanks for having me and we'll talk soon you bet.